Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Okay, so we're going to let the children go out. We're very, very grateful for those who are looking after the kids tonight. Um, we don't want to say especially, but we are grateful for Jen who's come back early from Wales. It doesn't go without saying, we're very grateful. Um, and, you know, for those who have made themselves available, we're also glad that you've made yourself available tonight to be here. Um, we were talking on Wednesday night about the fact that often we only think volunteering is when you're doing something that you give to something, not when you come to receive. So if you come to receive, like you're here sat in the pews, you think that, well, I'm not really, come, I'm not really volunteering. But in fact, you are, because you create an environment for those that need to receive something that, that can. So I'm very grateful, and I think we need to sort of uh, stir that up, that passion up within us, of, you know, why we come. I mean, because many of us could say, well, I don't need it. But sometimes I don't need it, but I'm here for you. And I hope you <clears throat> feel the same for me. So looking out there, all I can see is two bright lights up there. Uh, I can hardly see anybody in the room, um, but uh, excuse me, I, I do not have a cold, it's just my emotions, so in case you're thinking that I'm, I'm sickening with something, I am not, it's just what I'm like. Uh, so anyway, um, on, uh, on Thursday morning, we, without a doubt, I woke up knowing that I knew something and I've just followed with that, but... Um, what I need to tell you right from the beginning, I'm going to probably mix a whole lot of metaphors. And some people don't like metaphor mixing. It's like, oh, where are we? We're mixing too many metaphors. But I feel tonight that they do work. They do help us understand things. Um, and um, last week we were talking about how sometimes freedom is far high, harder to manage than our slavery. And often we think, well, that's not the truth. But it is because we are very prone to go back into things that keep us bound. Because although we don't like the word bound because it suggests, you know, being in chains, there is a certain security that comes with it. And so sometimes we misunderstand uh, what that binding is. We tend to put up with it. Um, but uh, I got to thinking, uh, you know, I've used the word entangled and... <clears throat> It struck me that, you know, going back in my thoughts, that when Connie was little, she had, well, not even, well, even when she got a bit bigger, when up to being about 14, she had the most incredible long hair. More incredible than it is now. Sorry, Connie, you've still got incredible hair. But it was so incredible that when she stood, it was behind her knees. It was that long. It was incredible. And uh, we used to plait it, and uh, she still reminds me of how I used to plait it so tightly that it used to make her head hurt. And, uh, but it was the only way, you know, to keep it from getting full of lugs, as we used to call it. And, uh, you know, it was awful. And if you ever 
for one minute, let it just down. Oh, it was just unmanageable. So we used to obviously put lots of conditioner on it and we would comb it through to get the tangles out and it would make it manageable. And I was thinking that really what Q is about is really applying a weekly dose of conditioner to, to tangled lives in order that, that that part of you, I know it's a, a, it's a metaphor and it's a, it's a bit of a picture, we're trying to help untangle and sort of give you a little bit of comfort in the brushing through of, of you know, the main of your life, whatever you want to call it. And uh, that was sort of helpful. I'm thinking, yes, that's what we want to do as a church. And uh, there was another thought, you see, and I've already mentioned that on Wednesday night we got together um, as a, a leadership. And um, another metaphor is that we, we're here to break ice. And whether you like that idea or not, because we don't live in a nicey nation or a, a, a place where we're uh, used to lots of icy conditions, um, we understand that we were given many years ago the mandate of the fact that we are an ice-breaking church. And um, we're there, we're here on a regular basis to put de-icer, <laughs> you know, conditioner de-icer, on your life to apply it to you so that the ice doesn't get so hard that it's actually unbreakable. Because if ice gets unbreakable, then there is no way forward. And uh, that's just another way of, of, of talking about it. And uh, I, on Wednesday night, had to be reminded by my friends who get together as leaders of this place of what our purpose is, is because you can so lose sight of it and you think, oh dear, you know, what's going on and this, that and the other. But we are an ice-breaking ship and I had to be reminded of that and the moment I was reminded of it, it was like, yes, I get it, I'm all right, I'm ready to go on again. But for a little moment, I'd lost my way. I was entangled because I needed something to help me. So, um, it's so easy to become unwhole, whether we use the hair entanglement as, a, as an idea or we look at the idea of ice in the sense that if ice gets so thick, the only way that you're going to get through that is with a vessel that is made for that to literally chop that ice out of the way. And it's very expensive and it's very cold and the crew, and I just want to say, you know, I'm proud to be part of this ice-breaking crew. But to take us where we're going tonight, I woke up on Thursday morning and I felt buzzed. I thought, yes, I know what I want to say. And uh, it was a clip from Jamie Oliver um, that I recalled about chicken nuggets. And so we're going to start there. Is it okay? We just put this on and then we'll talk about it. Is that all right? So the clip, please, of Jamie uh, Oliver. Isn't that just awesome? And somebody had put a little, um, you know, comment on Facebook about it, sort of to watch the uh, soul leave um, Jamie Oliver's body at that moment that when he's saying, you know, who wants this now? And they are, all the hands go up. Actually, there was a little girl at the end, did you see? She was looking at them almost going, but she was the odd one out, wasn't she? In that sense. So... I hope you, you, you'll understand in a little while why I've shown that. Um, 
it came to me and I'm just flowing with what, what came into my heart. So a chicken nugget basically is a lie dressed up as truth. And uh, even though you tell that story, how many people still want to eat it? And I thought to myself, why is that? Why do we still go back to wanting it, even though it's been, been made very clear what's in it? And it dawned on me straight away, it's because of the taste. Come on, let's be honest. Who loves them? We do, don't we? And somehow the taste allows us the, to bypass truth in our minds that allows us then to make a decision that probably is not a good one. I, I, you're following what I'm meaning. And um, you, you realise that, that taste ooh, is, a, is a, an important issue. And we're reminded that we become entangled by things because we like the flavour of stuff. And um, I was thinking of the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt uh, and they were going through this wilderness experience, um, having been delivered from a horrible place. They were being provided with this food on the, on the ground every day. But after a little while, they started complaining buckets and they said, we loathe this worthless bread. Um, and they said, it's horrible. We don't like it. And they started to say, we actually want the onions and garlic that we once had in Egypt. And when you think about it, that sounds great. Why? They remember the taste. But the problem is they forgot the memory of what went with the taste. What went with the taste of the onions and garlic was what was called cruel bondage. They were in slavery. And on that basis, you would say that shouldn't their minds be, I don't ever want to eat garlic and onions again, if it means that I have to go back to that enslavement. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that they forgot the cruel bondage. And also, if you remember the story, they were forced to make bricks without straw. And uh, they seemed to forget all of that. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking in the terms of how we apply this, is that many people, whatever it's called, will choose bondage and slavery over freedom any day if the taste is good. Oh, that's uh, something that we're going to have to think about, isn't it? And of course, we here at, at, at Q are desperately trying not to uh, push those things. Let's add the flavours, a whole bunch of flavours to something that's horrible. We say, no, let's see the truth for what it is and let's operating that. Now, sometimes the, the reality can be a problem and I'll, I'll come to that in, in a little while. So why do people like, for instance, the taste of, of, of religion and ritual? It's because it's like fast food. Um, it does the work for you um, regardless of its contents. Now, that's something that we're going to have to think about a little bit. So coming to my next thought, this is what then happened. I thought of this picture. Can you put the picture? And yes, it's, it's of a naked person. So if you're a bit freaked out of naked people, shut your eyes now. We haven't put tassels on her boobs or anything. Um, but um, this is a very famous picture. It's called The Woman Coming Out of the Well by Jean-Léon Jérôme. And it was a painting back, back 
in uh, 1880 something or other. And uh, there's a little story that goes with it, if I can just read it. And it is this. According to 19th century legend, the truth and the lie meet one day. The lie says to the truth, it's a marvellous day today. And the truth looks up to the skies and sighs for the day was really beautiful. They spend a lot of time together, ultimately arriving beside a well. The lie tells the truth. The water is very nice. Let's take a bath together. The truth, once again suspicious, tests the water and discovers that indeed it's very nice. So they undress and start bathing. Suddenly the lie comes out of the water, puts on the clothes of the truth and runs away. The furious truth comes out of the well and runs everywhere to find the lie to get her clothes back. The world, seeing the truth naked, turns its gaze away with contempt and rage. So the poor truth returns to the well and disappears forever, hiding therein its shame. Since then, the lie travels round the world, dressed as the truth, satisfying the needs of society, because the world, in any case, harbours no wish at all to meet the naked truth. Now, that's the story that goes with that painting. Now, that painting also, she's holding a whip, because... This is a painting that says once the truth decides she's going to come out of the well and she's going to basically whip some people for disregarding the, the, the truth. But you can take that off now if you like, but I wanted to show you the picture so that you know the story that, that went with it. So, the world seeing the truth naked turns its gaze away with contempt and rage and therefore, the truth hides because of its shame. That, to me, blew my mind. And that's why I wanted to put the picture up there. Because what is it that's happened to us, even in society? The, the, the naked body has become something that's shameful when it should never be. It should be. It's a naked body. There's no clothes on it. But it's become something that's attached to shame. And... In my mind, the truth should never be shameful. And yet in my whole life, I have found the times when people have told the truth instead of that being received in a wonderful way to say the truth really will set you free. It's, oh, this is shameful. No, the truth should always be something that we say, I would rather see you naked in your raw uh, unembellished way, then you try to cover it and really be a lie. Do, do you see what I mean? But it, it proves that what we've done is we've become more enhammered with the uh, extra flavourings that go on the chicken nuggets, if you see what I mean, rather than seeing the, the truth uh, for what it is. So, I remember, I have a, a memory, um, I once said to somebody, I'm, you know, I'm quite an open book, I tell people probably at times way too much, I like to be open about myself and I just tell things how it is and their remark to me was, well I think the reason why people struggle with that is because they must think that if that, if you're saying, being so open in what you're saying, what else must you be hiding? 
And I'm thinking, heck, I'd never thought of it that way at all. But it goes to show how much of the time there is a part of us that we are hiding and suppressing rather than just being naked with, with the truth. So like it says, the lie dressed in the truth's clothes goes around the world satisfying the needs of society because the world doesn't want to see the naked truth. It, it, it's embarrassed by the naked truth and it doesn't uh, want to see it. Now, this is something that I just want you to try and uh, maybe think about and apply to yourself tonight in, in a bit, in, in a way, is because this, I have had more encounters with the lie dressed up as truth than the naked truth itself. And I, I find that quite hard. I have been reared in a most wonderful way in the sense I've been brought up by Christian parents. My life has been very much surrounding a very religious and a very what you would call an upright situation. But if I look at a lot of it, there's been more lies dressed up as truth than it's been the naked truth. And uh, I, I, I really find that that quite sad. And many years ago, I mean, and, and some of you know, some of you don't, but I found myself in a situation and it took me a long time to come out of it because I had to, first of all, understand what it was that I was tasting and it tasted good. And I had to be willing to say just because it tastes good doesn't mean that it's actually good itself. And often that's how lies uh, get to us and that's why we become entangled because sometimes the taste we think oh that's great and meanwhile it's actually a lie that's going to take us uh, into that entanglement and slavery. Um, I, I'd like to go into ways because sometimes people need examples uh, of how lies dress up as truth um, we can be seduced in so many ways. It can be by our body image. It can be by all sorts of things. And, you know, even, even one I watched on the TV this week, the, 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 and I'll just have to be honest, it came to my mind, so I'm just going to bring it, is how many people have heard uh, when they're entering relationships with somebody who maybe is already married, it'll be, oh, well, the marriage is over anyway. Oh, it's on the rocks. Lies dressed up as truth. So what happens is, oh, well, it's okay then. It's all right. So you get sucked in. And that's just one example. And I don't mean to use that for anybody here. It might not uh, cover anybody here at all, but it gives you an example of what happens. It's very subtle and it seduces because the dress looks like the truth, but it's a lie. And often the taste is good, but really, it's full of rubbish like those chicken nuggets. So, I want to just bring this sort of to an end uh, by what I want to say, by talking about a story um, of the woman that Jesus met at the well. It's in John chapter 4, and if you want to go and you, you want to read it, you can do, but it's a story that I've always loved. Uh, because this is a, a person who is truly entangled. I don't know how many encounters she has had with the lie dressed up as truth, but by the time she gets to Jesus, she is truly one heck of a mess. And she sits there and uh, she, she has this conversation with Jesus. And I'm not 
remotely going to cover it all. I'm just going to give you the, 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 the idea of what is going on. She is one messed up lady. She's very entangled. She needs a good dose of conditioner on her hair. And she needs a whole bunch of ice breaking around her existence. She's a wounded soul. She's messed up physically in her relationships. Because if you remember, Jesus says to her, you will, you know, you've already had five husbands. And he's, he's talking about her physical situation. And it sounds all very complicated. And then he says, and the one you're with right now isn't your husband. Oh, dear. I mean, if we want complicated, I mean, we all say, don't we, that one, one partner's enough because they cause enough trouble anyway. So, I mean, she's had a right um, time of it. And then, of course, she's also spiritually confused because she's also saying to Jesus, I've been told that that I'm supposed to worship on this mountain. And there's a whole bunch of other people who say, I'm supposed to worship on that mountain. What's right? And Jenny brought it last week and she was saying, we get so to the point that what is right and what is wrong? And you recognise that in the middle of it, we aren't growing an inch because we stuck. Because who's right? So this is where this, this lady is. But she knew one thing. And of course, remember, I'm cutting the story right down. She knows one thing of a certainty, and it was this, that she's saying, when the Messiah comes, and of course, this is written back, you know, early first century, she's saying, when the Messiah comes, when I find God, when I finally come into contact with this person or being that's been talked about, that's been promised all this time, everything will get sorted out. She's got that one little thing in her mind that that will be sort, sorted out. So within her heart, there's all these voices crying out from within her, needing attention and needing healing and needing understanding. Now, this is what I want to say, and I want you to be very clear on this, that all of us have got voices inside us that are crying out for attention it's just human. We, we've got needs. We've got things that we want to sort out. And uh, what happens most of the time with all that stuff, and this is what religion has done to us, and I use that in the context of the lie dressed up as the truth. It goes around telling us that if you only do this, you'll sort that out. And if you only do this, you'll sort that out. If you only do this, you'll sort that out. And all the time, there is a sense of force and control and condemnation that is brought to bear on people by the lie parading as the truth, that ultimately all that happens is all our stuff goes deeply suppressed and it goes underground and it's a bit like whack-a-mole. And of uh, course, I, I love Boris talking about whack-a-mole a few weeks ago because I'm thinking, my goodness, my Prime Minister telling the nation about our strategy is whack-a-mole. I thought it was hilarious. I thought, heck, that's brilliant, whack-a-mole. I'm going to play whack-a-mole. But it's like whack-a-mole because what happens is when I try to control within me those voices that are crying out because of needs that are unmetting me and I hit it on the head with condemnation and, and, and um, anger and uh, try to control it and this, that and the other, all that happens is it pops up somewhere else. And so you run and you try and hit it there and you try and hit it somewhere else. Do we ever finally get rid of the 
the issue, the answer is no. And some people don't like churches to talk like this because they say, oh, all you're doing is basically condoning people never changing. No, I am, what I am saying is this, there's a different way. Because if we meet those voices within us with mercy, with love, with compassion and with patience, we actually will deal with the root of an issue, not just the fact of things just keep popping up. You know, like the dandelion that I've done it. I go down my, my alley and I pick it up and what do I do? I take the top off. Yeah? And what happens within a week? It's back there again. If I only took the time to deal calmly with the root, dig down, to make sure I was getting it all in a loving, careful way, you'd actually rid yourself of the issue. Now, the root, you see, is the place where fear rules. And we don't realise that the roots of our issues that cause us to go into our entanglements are all to do with fear. Fear is what causes it. And if we would only change that seat, that root of fear to a root of love, then we wouldn't have the, the issues to, to try and deal with, the, those voices to try and uh, somehow calm or, or, or get rid of. So, how often do we associate the naked truth with brutal honesty? And I think that that's a good point. Because often we say, if we are not brutally honest about these issues and bring them to the surface and tell them what they truly are, they'll never get dealt with. But actually, it might be something way more tender. It might be far more tender. It might be something that what happens in this conversation with Jesus, he's not brutally honest with her at all. He just talks nicely and calmly. And I believe that what she feels at the end of the day is that if this is really the Christ that I am talking to, and we'll come back to that in a minute, he is not treating me as though he's having to bash me over the head because I'm, I'm a problem. He's actually treating me with mercy, love and compassion. And he says, when he says, she says to him, um, when the Messiah arrives, everything's going to be okay. And he basically says, I who speak to you am he. Now, that's it. That's more or less he's preached to her. I who speak to you am he. Now, this is the issue. She's saying, when I meet God, I'm going to be okay. So in that moment... What did she expect to experience when she met God? Was it, well, when I meet God, he's, you know, I'm going to feel his wrath. I'm going to feel in trouble or whatever. But she suddenly recognises he doesn't have a problem with me. He's accepting me as I am. All the conversation about all the other stuff, he accepts me as I am. Now, there's a meme that I've, I've seen quite uh, regularly and it's this it's people are not addicted to drugs and alcohol they're addicted to escaping reality think about that when all of you in whatever you're doing in your life before you start getting involved with something and it can be anything it can, and, and please believe me 
when I, when I say this, it can be church. It can be, it can be your need for a saviour. It can be a need to be holy and live a pure life. All of these things can actually be addictions that are actually, sounds very virtuous, but it's actually not very good for you at all. They are addicted to escaping reality. Reality. It needs to be understood that all our entanglements don't happen because we're bad people. They happen because we are told that we are deficient in some way. So we become afraid. That root becomes fear. And then, of course, we're looking. I mean, that fear is driving us to employ things that relieve that fear. But in actuality, is creating the bars of our, of our own prison and enslavement. So, quite marvellous. He doesn't want to condemn her. He wants to heal the root of her issue, to take away the fear uh, and for love to be put in that place. So, what is the reaction? She says, give me this water. Because he says, if you'd only have a drink of me, rather than drinking this natural water, you'd find you'd, you'd be okay. What was the water? And I look at it very simply. It, it was just, she, it was saying to her, there's nothing you need to do. How incredible. So the, the verse, I think it's verse 28 or something there. It's my favorite verse uh, fully. It says, so leaving her water jar, so it suggests that her natural thirst um, is she's not bothered about that anymore. Um, what she's realising that something of a deeper nat- nature has been quenched and uh, she knows that she can go on away having received something, an enlightenment about her own being that's going to take her on her way. And she would only remain free as long as she continued to apply the revelation that she'd received and how so easily we forget and go back to being entangled. Now, Brennan Manning says, and I, and I, I love his books, and if you uh, want to have some good read, he, he's a great writer. He talks about this, that we realise, or our, our thirst gets quenched when we recognise that the life of which we are ashamed, the life that we are discontented with or even just terrified to live is something that God says you don't need to escape from. You don't need to escape from. Now, how many of us are going, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But you see, she would only stay um, as free as her constant application of that conditioner to her tangled life. Um, And that's why we need to be constantly reminded. So what is the naked truth to the woman at the well? Basically, I put it this way, and these words aren't in, in the text, but it was this. He was saying to her, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Recognize the Christ in you, and you will change the route from fear to love And then what does she do? She goes, come, come see a man. Now, this is the key. She says, could this be the Christ? Of course, he'd said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
And why would she then say that she thought that it could be the Christ? Because when we meet the Christ, we meet the raw material from which everything is made, which has a value on it because it's all made of the same stuff. Isn't that fantastic? So you see, it wasn't, oh, come on, let's, let's join the church. Let's do this. It's come, come see a man who will look at you and accept you just as you are and everything will be okay. Isn't that gorgeous? Come see a man. Because why? And I like the way that that, that in John it talks about uh, when it says, uh, I am the way, the truth and the life. And lots of people have misunderstood that in evangelical circles because they've said, oh, this is it. This is the only way to the Father and made it into a a dogma and a gospel because it's like saying, well, if, if anybody has any other religious uh, beliefs or affiliations, it's wrong because it's saying here, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. But you see, if you dig a little bit deeper into the understanding of uh, Jewish uh, culture, the temple was understood as the way, the truth, the life. It, it embodied a way of living. It, it embodied a truth of living. And of course, the life right in the centre was that holy place where you met God and once a year, all the sins of the people were taken away. I'm the truth, the way, the truth, the life was talking about a temple that was between, to, to bridge the gap between God and man. And so when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, what was he really saying? He's saying, I am temple. I am temple. Do you get it? So instead of saying, oh, he's talking about a, a, a religious belief system that, that, you know, you do this and that. He's saying, no, I am temple. And then when, he, when she says, come see a man who is basically told me all about me, it, she's basically identifying the fact he, he said to me, you are temple. You are temple. How fantastic. So our desire here at Q every week is that you meet the Christ. And I'm not going to go any further than that because we can talk, well, who, what? That you meet the Christ. Because Christ in you, the hope of glory. How fantastic is that? So here's the thing I want to read you. Just one more thing before we end. And uh, maybe somebody can, can, can get Danny because... Um, we're just going to sing a, a song. I think we're all right for time. This is the thing that when we recognize that you, um, I've changed the words in this to make it for you now than rather than we, Re- recognize that you are not uh, only more than you imagined, but more than you can imagine. We see that we are a creation of the sacred intimately and eternally linked to the sacred, forever graced and embraced by the sacred. This is the greatest of all discoveries and the secret of all secrets, the priceless gift that is both the source and the goal, or I should put should be the goal, of all the world's religions. It's to understand who you are and we need reminding of that constantly. Um, these traditions suggest that 
The primary cause of human suffering lies in the false sense of identity. And how do we get that false sense of identity? We spend too much time listening to lies dressed up as truth. And they claim that we are separated from the sacred and thereby unaware of our true nature. This separation is described in various ways by various religions. But whatever it is called, the underlying message is the same. In falling into illusion, illusion, what, how do we get into illusions? By believing lies dressed up as truth. We have forgotten our boundless spiritual nature. Consequently, we underestimate ourselves terribly, believing we are merely little egos isolated in our fragile bodies and that we are fundamentally deficient. How could we feel otherwise when we have constructed ourselves so terribly and torn ourselves away from our source? And what is so fantastic tonight in what I'm trying to bring is that when you meet the Christ, you meet the naked truth about you. And rather than it being that we were told original sin, wicked sinner, depraved, no, it's Christ in you. The hope of glory. It's tender. It's tender. It's loving. The naked truth will always remind you of the truth of your being. And when we understand the truth of our being, the roots of fear are replaced by the roots of love. And we're able to combat the things that lead us into entanglement, that take us into imprisonment. So I hope that helps. We're here to break ice. We're here to do some conditioning of tangled hair and it's who we are and we're going to just keep being who we are. So guys, come up, let's just sing sing out um, and I hope that's helped. If you want to talk about anything, we're always here. We're always here to help you. We're at the end of the telephone. We can meet because our hearts is that you meet the Christ. You meet the Christ because Christ in you, the hope of glory. There you go. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash Q Church York. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.